0: Hi, and welcome to the McGregor Dementia Support Ministry Podcast, a podcast providing relevant resources to those currently walking the dementia journey with their loved ones. Today's podcast is a session recorded from our Alzheimer's and Dementia Seminar held here at McGregor Baptist Church on February 18th, 2023. Today's podcast session title is The Gospel and Dementia by David Miller. I'm always blessed and edified by this seminar each and every year that we've done it. Uh, and I'm thankful for it. By the way, my name is Dave. I am uh, I'm, uh, one of the elders here at McGregor. My position is uh, that I am the pastor of membership and um, I'm honored to be here with you today. My wife and I have been married for 26 years as of last month and uh, we are blessed with two boys. One is a 19-year-old, the other one is a 17-year-old. And um, our youngest son lives with autism. So like many of you that are here, I'm around somebody that I care greatly about who lives with a challenging neurological disorder. And like many of you that are here today, um, I have prayed that God would take that disorder away. I'm also the caregiver to my 83-year-old dad who has dementia and whom the doctors and the nurses believe are in his last days. He actually moved here five years ago to Southwest Florida to help my wife and I with our two sons. And um, I remember after my dad had made the decision to move here but he had not yet moved here, my wife and I were talking about it and I, I remember telling her, babe, this probably means that he will pass away here with us and we will care for him in his final years. And um, I'm not a prophet, but that statement has certainly borne out to be true. And it has been our honor to care for him. And just a side note, as a result of this seminar three years ago, um, I have power of attorney for my dad. I have healthcare surrogacy for my dad. And all of his end of life documents are in order. And so I praise God for Lance McKinney (laughs) And, uh, and elder law attorneys like him. Dad is now under hospice care. But prior to that, um, I took him to all his doctor's appointments, um, including his neurologist, whom he was not fond of. (laughs) To no fault of the doctor, by the way. Uh, I even rode in the back seat of the car um, for the driving test that the neurologist required of my dad. And I did that more for the protection of the driving test instructor than for my dad. And I could go on and on and on, but I won't. But I say all that to reassure you that I get it. Specifically for those of you that are caregivers. I understand the road that you're on. And I'm on that road with you and I don't like it any more than you do. And even though I've only been caring for my dad for uh, really just the past four years, I've been thinking for a while about how the sovereignty of God works in the life of someone who has a non-typical neurology. And that conversation's been going on in my head, in my heart, since my youngest son was two years old, which is about the time that my wife and I began to notice his challenges. Now, I want to make a disclaimer to you today. (laughs) I'm a Bible teacher. I'm not an expert on neurology, but I do know way more about autism and dementia than I ever wanted to. But I am very thankful for physicians like Dr. Shaw and researchers like the group that Amy works with. But my desire today is just to share some scriptures that have been meaningful to my wife and I over these years as we've dealt with the reality that God has allowed our son and my father to have the challenges that they both have. And if you're not a regular part of our church, um, here at McGregor, we believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. And that means that we believe that the Bible is true and without error in all that it says but we also believe in the sufficiency of scripture. And that means that we believe that what the text says is enough. And the implications about the sufficiency of scripture are blunt because it means that we acknowledge that God's word does not answer every question we have to our full satisfaction. And God's not obligated to do that. But friends, the Bible does address the most pressing questions about salvation, life, death, and eternity. The gospel is simple and clear. The Bible reveals our need to be saved because we're sinners, and it shows us how we can be saved. And that is by salvation, by grace alone, through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. And yet, even if you've come to a place in your life where you have recognized that you need a savior and you have turned from your sin and trusted in Christ to save you, even then, you'll still have questions. There will always be questions about this life that we will have. See, this is one of the ways that the Alzheimer's journey really points us the good news of Christ because before we can appreciate the good news of what God has done for sinners like you and me in his son, Jesus Christ, we have to reckon with the bad news about ourselves, that we've sinned against a holy God and we are in desperate need of a savior. Think about it. Me acknowledging that I'm a sinner means I'm agreeing with God that I lack something and I need him. So a lack of full understanding kinda comes with the territory of us being sinners. And since we all are, there will be many things in our life that will remain a mystery. We have to be okay with that. And regardless of whether you yourself are facing dementia or you're caring for someone who is facing dementia or if you're in the medical community and you see this stuff all the time, regardless of all of that, we as humans won't always have a full understanding of why this is happening and what God is up to as it's happening. See, friends, the God of the Bible is holy. (laughs) He's our creator And that means we are his creation. And he is radically different than us. In fact, in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, in the Old Testament, God speaks of himself through the prophet Isaiah, and he says this, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Friends, that's a powerful statement from the scriptures and its implications are huge. It means there's an intentional gap between how God thinks and how we think because he's infinite and he's all-knowing and we ourselves, we're finite and limited in our understanding of all things. So there's a gap. And that gap is intentionally designed by a loving father so that we might trust in him by faith. As I just mentioned, we have two boys. Our oldest is now 19, and he's a sophomore in college. And if you've ever had a son who's a sophomore in college, you know what that means. It means he knows everything right and for him that's really not a new development but because throughout his life his mother and I have had conversations with him over and over again about different matters and different topics and he does not fully understand or comprehend our perspective on whatever we're talking about even though he is neurotypical. See, our ways don't always make sense to him. And why is that? Well, it's not because he's stupid. He's a very intelligent young man. But it's because he's not a parent. He, he doesn't hold the position of authority that my wife and I hold as parents, and he doesn't have the perspective that we have as parents. See, in a similar way, God's thoughts are on a higher plane than ours are. And as a result of that, his ways are not always comprehended by us. And that includes the suffering that we experience from the effects of autism or Alzheimer's or Lewy body or fill in the blank. I'm not going to lie to you, friends, human suffering and the sovereignty of God are not easy to understand. They're not easy to reconcile either. But the question that we must face is can I trust God when I don't fully understand? Can you trust God when you don't fully understand? So for the next few moments, I just want us to look at a conversation that Jesus had with someone that might shine some light on that very important question. So if you brought your Bibles this morning, turn with me to John 21. If you've got a device, you can swipe and and find John 21. It's at the, we're, we're, we're at the very end of the book of John by the time we get to John 21. The book of John is the fourth gospel. Um, fourth book of the New Testament. And by this point, Jesus has already gone to the cross. He's already died. He's already walked out of the tomb and, and was raised from the dead. And, and by this point in John 21, he has now appeared to some of his disciples in his resurrected form. But he purposes to have a conversation with Peter. Peter. Some of you may know Peter as the disciple who denied knowing Jesus. He denied him three times on the night that Jesus was arrested. And so by the time we get to John 21, that moment of failure was only a little over a week old in Peter's life. It was a moment of failure that for Peter was now heavy on his heart. You know, as my dad draws near to the end, I think back over the past several years that I've been his caregiver. And I think about what I could have done differently and what I should have done and should have not done. I have the, that tendency like every other human being has to dwell on what we didn't do or could have done. We certainly can be hard on ourselves, can't we? And that's where Peter was. Failure was the context of John 21. Because failure is a reality in life. So it seems apropos to hear what the Savior says to Peter in the wake of Peter's massive failure. See, by God's grace, our lives are both a mix of success and failure. And for those who trust in Christ, our sovereign God will orchestrate both of those things for his glory, and for our good. And that's actually what Jesus was talking to Peter about in John 21. On the other side of the resurrection, Jesus meets his disciples and they sit down and eat breakfast together. And when they're done eating, Jesus asked Peter a question. It's in verse 15 if you're looking at your device or a Bible. This is the question Jesus asked Peter. He says, Simon, Son of John, do you love me more than these? That was the question. <laughs> it's a simple question. And, and it's no accident that Jesus calls him Simon, which was his given name before he met Jesus. Peter was the name that Jesus gave him. So by calling him Simon in this moment, Jesus was bluntly getting Peter's attention. And you know what? It worked. That's what the Lord does with our failures. He uses them to get our attention, to remind us that ultimately we must depend upon him. The question was, do you love me more than these? Now theologians debate over what Jesus meant by these. There was a huge pile of fish that the disciples had just caught. So was he referring to the fish? Do you love me more than these fish or these nets or these boats? Was, was Jesus saying, Peter, do you love me more than your occupation? Which can be a, a real temptation in life, no doubt. But I don't think that's what Jesus was after here. No, I believe that Jesus was referring to the other disciples that were sitting with Jesus and Peter. Do you love me more than these disciples? See, when Jesus uses the word these there, he's actually reminding Peter of Peter's earlier claim that he would never fall away even if all the other disciples did. In Luke 22, Peter says to to Jesus, he says, Lord, I am ready to go with you to both prison and to death. (laughs) But at this point in John 21, that hadn't turned out to be true, not yet anyway. So here in verse 15, Jesus was asking, Peter, do you love me as you claimed you did more than the other disciples do? And Peter says yes with his mouth, but in his heart, he knows the answer is really no. And the funny thing that happens in this passage is that Jesus Jesus keeps pestering Peter with this question. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Three times he asked Peter this question, probably reminding Peter that he had denied Jesus three times. But by the third time, Peter gets exasperated and near the end of verse 17, you see there, Peter says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Which is a smart thing to say to the one who is the omniscient Lord of the universe because he's correct. Jesus does know everything. God knows you and I more accurately and more fully than we even know ourselves. He knows our future and he knows our past. He knows the eternal state of your soul right now. And even if you think you got everybody else fooled, you cannot fool God because he knows it all and Peter finally admits that to Jesus. And I know what some of you are thinking right now. You're thinking, What does this have to do with Alzheimer's? But friends, what Jesus says next to Peter is truly stunning because it shows that not only does God know everything, but that he is also orchestrating everything. Here's how Jesus responds to Peter in verse 18. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, You used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Now that may seem like a strange response, but the passage goes on to to say the reason that Jesus said this to Peter was to indicate the kind of death that Peter would eventually experience. And history records that eventually Peter was hauled away and executed for being faithful to Christ. And that happened when he was older. But as I thought about this statement by Jesus in verse 18, it just reminded me of a greater principle that's all throughout the Bible. One that I think will help those who are on the dementia journey, and even those of us who are around someone that are on the dementia journey. And that is this, that God is sovereign and we are not. God's ultimately in control of my life and your life and all the events of human history and all the events of your day and my day. He's in control of the most significant joys we experience in this life and the most difficult pain as well. He's sovereign over what seems to be random acts, like a dying bird falling in a tree when no one is around and no one would even know it happened, as Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 10. Friends, do you realize that there are no random acts? There is no mother nature. There's no such thing as fate. There is only the sovereign God of the Bible. And Jesus essentially says to Peter, Peter, as a young man, you probably thought you got to call all the shots in your life. Just do whatever you wanted to do. But you know what? As you get older, Peter, you'll realize that's not the case. Friends, our heavenly father is sovereign over our first day on this earth. He's sovereign over our last day on this earth and everything in between and beyond. And I know many of you in here are probably planners. (laughs) Sort of the nature of those who care for other people. We're planners. And there's nothing sinful about having a plan. The Lord will actually use that as you yourself face dementia or you care for someone that is facing dementia. But may we never forget that God is sovereign over our plans. So we are to hold on to those plans loosely. In fact, Proverbs 19:21 it states that many plans are in a man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord will stand. See, it's not all on you. I want to say that again, particularly to caregivers. It's not all on you. Praise God for that. I know some of you are thinking that because, well, in caring for my dad, I was many times given to that temptation. That if it was going to happen, I was going to have to do it because nobody cares the way that I do. No one can do the things that I can do. Praise God, He stripped me of that because the truth is, God is sovereign and we're not. And I realize that some of you aren't there. You haven't come to that conclusion from the Bible. Honestly, it took me a while to get there. Because, probably like you, I'm not real comfortable with attaching God's sovereign control to things that I don't like, things that are unpleasant, outcomes that make me sad. But here at McGregor, the Word of God is our standard. And in Isaiah 45, 7, the Lord emphatically states, I form the light and create the darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. See, there are thousands of things in this life that you and I have no control or even influence over. But be encouraged today because God is sovereign over it all. And for those of us who are Christians, our ultimate goal is to follow Christ. And by doing so, we are following the one who is sovereignly in control of every single detail in the universe. It simply means he's leading the way and we're following the sovereign one. That means stuff that we like and stuff that we don't like. It's a very freeing and reassuring truth from God's word once you see it. Now, what's interesting is if you keep reading in John 21, it becomes evident that this conversation between Peter and Jesus has been taking place the whole time with the apostle John nearby, listening. (laughs) And from a human standpoint, that's how we have a record of this conversation today. So Peter, after hearing Jesus describe his future, that there will come a day when he is executed for his faith, Peter then points to John and says to Jesus in verse 21, Lord, what about this man? Now what Peter means by that question is, Lord, how will John's life turn out? Will John suffer the same fate as you just described to me? If you've raised children, you can probably relate to Peter's question because you've heard as your kids grew up, mom, what about him? Dad, how come she gets to? Why can't I do that? That's not fair. It's almost comical. Peter wants to make sure that things are fair. Really? The risen Savior is standing in front of him and Peter is worried if John's going to get a better deal than he's going to get. I just love how funny the Bible is sometimes. And that, friends, is when Jesus gives his strongest rebuke to Peter. When he says to Peter in verse 22, if it is my will that he, meaning John, If it is my will that he remains until I come, what is that to you? That final statement by Jesus in verse 22 applies to the dementia journey. I think it applies in a twofold manner. First of all, it reminds us that life is not fair, (laughs) it's just not. We can want that, we can desire that, but it's just not. So we must rid ourselves of that notion, honestly. Since Genesis chapter three, life has not been fair. We live in a fallen world that cries out for for healing and for justice and for redemption, but those can only be found in the work and person of Jesus Christ. And only Jesus Christ will one day usher in perfect healing and justice and complete redemption when he returns. But in the meantime, life's not fair. And that lack of fairness cuts both ways too. Peter died in his 60s, but John lived into his 90s. And the sovereign God of the universe numbered the days of both of those men as he has done with every single person who's ever lived. And so with the loved one that we are concerned about, some of us will face the long goodbye, as Nancy Reagan called it. We, we will watch and we will serve and we will advocate for years for the person that we care about. And some of us won't bear that burden nearly as long. Because life's not fair. But for the Christian, fairness is not a criteria by which we evaluate life. If you've been around McGregor for a while, we often remind each other about this issue of fairness by asking ourselves the question, what does each one of us actually deserve? Answer, Hell. hell, that's right. That's what every sinner deserves. And when that's your baseline in your thinking, it sort of puts everything else in perspective. Even even inexplicable suffering. See, the interesting thing is out of all the world's religion, only the Christian faith has an eternal and beneficial purpose for suffering. Particularly for those who are in Christ. In 2 Corinthians 4.17, Paul explains what that purpose is when he says, for this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. That's an astonishing statement. See, for the Christian, suffering is never in vain. There's a God-ordained purpose in it. Suffering produces something. Rightly understood, suffering produces an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And I don't understand all that that fully means. But I know one day I will. But I know that what it means is it's doing something now and for all of eternity, even if we can't tell what it's doing in the moment. And your dementia journey, whether as a caregiver or as a patient, will test your belief in that. See, the distinction for the Christian is that we have a hope and that hope is the full and final and forever redemption of all things, including our bodies, even a body struck with neurological challenges. I think there's a second application in Jesus' final statement to Peter in verse 22. And that is that by comparing yourself to other people, you end up living a disastrous life. That's what Peter is doing here. He's comparing himself. And I implore you, as you face what you're facing, don't compare yourself to other people. Comparison is an awful way to live because You'll always be comparing the full knowledge of your own situation to your limited knowledge of other people's circumstances. So by comparing yourself, you're the one that loses. What Peter was doing is he was trying to compare God's will for John's life to God's will for his own life. And that's just not a burden the Savior wants us to bear. That's why Jesus rebuked him in verse 22. If it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you, Peter? You follow me. My wife and I have been involved in this church for almost 21 years and our youngest son was born around the same time as other families in our church were having kids, people that are our friends and their kids don't have autism. And every birthday as my son grew up got harder and harder. All of those life markers like playing soccer and riding a bike and advancing in school got harder and harder because comparison is lethal. Some of you might go through an experience similar to what Dr. Shaw faced and your spouse will forget who you are and you'll live with that for years. And yet you'll know another married couple that won't be affected by anything other than regular aging of the brain. And they will reminisce together about their life together. And you'll be unable to do that. See, for each of us, even though suffering is common to all people, your life circumstance and my life circumstance will be different. So as it is with any other sin, we must fight the temptation to compare ourselves to other people. We must put it to death on a daily basis. God has given you the road that you're on right now, the one that's ahead of you. And it's the road you're on, but it's all for his glory. He will cause things to work out differently in our life than in someone else's life. And when that happens, his response to us is the same as it was to Peter. What is that to you? You follow me. In this passage, Jesus calls Peter to do several things, but there's only one command that he repeats over and over again, and that's follow me. And I don't think there's a greater imperative that I could share with you today than the words of Jesus who said, you follow me. The journey ahead is hard and difficult and we don't like it because we keep butting our heads against this thing about God being sovereign over all. And the temptation for us to demand that life be fair and the temptation for us to compare ourselves to other people seems so strong at times. But if you're in Christ today, you're on the journey with the only one who is sovereign, whose thoughts and ways are higher than ours. So may we follow him faithfully and trust him fully for the difficult road that may be ahead of us. And may God continue to bless each of us in the grace of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Please subscribe to this channel if you haven't already done so. And leave a review if you found this content helpful.